thankful for our Lord Jesus. We are in the book of Proverbs through this fall, and each week we're looking at a, a different topic uh, that's addressed in somewhere in the Bible's book of Proverbs, where we find God's wise words for us. Uh, when we started this a series a couple of weeks ago after the service, someone from the congregation uh, came up to me and reminded me of an, an old joke that explains the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, knowledge is knowing that tomato, a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. Right? Knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, at least for us in our Western culture, knowledge is, is about facts, information, data, uh, wisdom is practical. It's about putting knowledge to work. It's, it involves insight and understanding and skill. Knowledge, tomato is not a fruit. Wisdom, you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. So one purpose in this series is to remind us that our faith is, should be practical. It's not just about what you know in your head or what you feel in your heart. It's also about how you live your life well. But if we in the church tend to intellectualize or emotionalize our faith, the tendency in our culture is, is the opposite. Whatever, so many people believe that whatever works is good. Whatever works is right. Whatever works for you is true. The Proverbs gives us a very different approach. Whatever is true works. Whatever is good works. Whatever is right, works. Now, maybe it doesn't work in the short run. Maybe it doesn't work in all the ways that you think you want to, to get you all the things that you want but maybe shouldn't have. The Bible's wisdom tells us to do the right thing in every moment and trust God that He will work it all out for our good in the end. So, today's wise words, live with integrity. The Proverbs use a number of words that get at uh, well, doing what is right uh, and the character of someone who does what is right, the upright, the righteous, and the word integrity also appears there, and that idea of integrity is the consistent commitment of doing what is right, doing right so consistently that it characterizes you in that way. Even when you are tempted to do what's wrong, even when it would be easier, it would seem to be easier to do what's wrong in that moment. So here's our, our question for the sermon today. What difference does it make whether or not you live with integrity? And we could answer that in many different ways from many different Proverbs. I've just chosen four uh, that we're going to, to uh, focus on today. And here's the first difference, and it has to do with your character. Polluted or pure? First point. Polluted or pure? Proverbs 25, 26. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man or woman, person, who gives way before the wicked. So, you see, you can see this uh, pretty well, whether you're looking at your text or the screen or the back of the worship folder. The first line gives us the imagery, muddied spring, polluted fountain. This is what the Proverbs uses to capture our imagination, to get us, to get our minds picturing things. 
And then to help us grasp the wisdom that's here, the second line tells us the specific issue that is being addressed, the righteous person who gives way before the wicked. Gives way. What what does that mean? Uh, You can tell by the rest of the proverb, well, it's not good, whatever it is. This is not gives way like opening the door for somebody else. Uh, to come to church, or arriving at the intersection about the same time, and you just, you know, wave the other person across, to, you know, a little friendly courtesy. Not that. No, this is giving way like a levee in New Orleans. Do you, you know, the, we, we all know more about New Orleans after you know, watching the news and the Weather Channel about hurricanes, right? That, that New Orleans is actually built below sea level. Like, what were they thinking? Below sea level. And, and the, it's the, there, there's the Mississippi River on one side. There's Lake Pontchartrain on the other. And of course, they're not too far from the, from the Gulf of Mexico. And the, and the levees are the only thing keeping the city from being destroyed by floodwaters. And sometimes after a hurricane is dumped inches and inches of water, the river rises and the lake rises. And sometimes the levees give way. And they no longer hold back what would destroy the city. Now, that's, that's much closer to what the proverb is talking about when it says, gives way. But in these wise words, you're, you are not the levy protecting something else. You are the one being damaged when you give way. Your character is being compromised. You've lost your integrity. I think, think some more about how this imagery works. Um, before, implied here, before this righteous person gives way, what is he? What is she? He is a spring. She is a fountain, a a source of life and refreshment, always flowing, clean and clear. And this person who does what what is right so consistently that they are characterized as righteous. They're not only beautiful to behold, they are a blessing to others. Now the, the proverb starts to come into focus. The, this proverb is a warning. In the, in the broader sense, it's warning for us to look out for those who are compromised. Beware the politician who had done so much good for his citizens, but then gave way, he, she gave way to powerful lobbies and special interests. Or look out for the preacher who used to be such a blessing, used to feed you from God's word, a source of inspiration, but then gave way to false teaching, to cultural fads or political hobby horses. Uh, You used to be refreshed by them, but now they have been polluted. And there's wisdom in the warning, watch out for others who have been polluted, but we can't fail to look at ourselves, of course. You can be a a person who is characterized by doing what is right and so be a life-giving resource to others, pure and refreshing, but if you give way to the wicked... You, you can lose your integrity in that literal sense of the word. Instead of being whole, complete, there's, there's a crack, there's a break, and something's getting through that brings corruption, that brings pollution. Now, we can easily think of the, the typical kinds of temptations that would pollute us, and we, we often go to the, you know, the usual, well, you know, be careful about the, the kind of entertainment that you, uh, you, you take in, the, the, and there is there's so much that is vulgar and obscene and violent, and don't, don't give way to the wicked, but, but it can also be in so many ways that we experience it. As a student, don't give way to someone who asks for your homework so that they don't have to do the assignment. Just, just decide now to say, I, I'd like to help, but I can't do that. 
Like that's, that's maintaining integrity. That's not giving way to what's wrong. And maybe you're not dealing with something as obviously wrong as cheating, but, but maybe in your workplace, uh, don't give way to a coworker who is constantly complaining and gossiping and maligning others so that you become poisoned by their bad attitude. Continue to do what is right. Don't give way to the wicked. And, you know, we get in those situations, and of course we think, oh, but, but what if I, I, I give way because I feel like, well, what, what if I lose that friend, or what if I lose my position, or, or even my, my job? I mean, isn't it better to, be, to, to compromise just so I can keep having that relationship, keeping having that position of a, a positive influence, right? Well, the question is, after you give way, will you still be a life-giving spring or will you just be muddy water? And, and then what have you done to your own heart, to your own life, your own soul? Jesus, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? So our next proverb that we're going to look at is an example of how losing your integrity changes you. It does corrupt something. It pollutes something in you. What difference does it make whether or not you live with integrity? It impacts your attitude toward what is right and wrong. Here's number two. Joke or joy? Proverbs 10.23 says, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Of course, again, all these, these are all uh, man, person, man or woman, he or she. Now, you know by now that, that to get the meaning and the wisdom of the Proverbs that you need to slow down, see how it's making its point. These two lines, of course, are in contrast, which is clear by the connecting word, but, of the second line, beginning of the second line. So you've got three ways that's in contrast, doing wrong. Wisdom, a joke, and pleasure, fool, man of understanding. And what makes it more interesting here is that there is actually only one Hebrew word that is translated here in two ways as joke and pleasure. The, the word is most literally just laughter, uh, have, enjoying something. Making, it can be used in laughter in a mocking way or, some, or simply enjoying something. Uh, in fact, the, the Hebrew, to make it more interesting here, the, the Hebrew word appears in the first line, but it's only implied in the second line. It's, it's not there. What do, you, what do you mean? If you're not following here, here's another English translation that kind of follows the Hebrew more closely here. As shameful conduct is, a, is pleasure for a fool, so wisdom is for a person of understanding. So you see the, the word pleasure or uh, laughter there is in the first one. As shameful co- conduct is pleasure for a fool, so wisdom is pleasure for a person of understanding. So this is the really the hook in this proverb. This should get us thinking. On one hand, both the fool and the man of understanding are laughing. Both finding pleasure in something, both enjoying something. It's the comparison that makes the contrast such a big deal. Because what they are delighting in is very different, which puts their laughter in a very different light, hence the translation we're looking at, joke or pleasure. And, and that points to a very strong difference in character, fool, man of understanding. Uh, sadly, over the last uh, few months, we've seen some 
minor vandalism in the area around our CE Center. Some broken glass block windows in the, the town gym, uh, some broken tree limbs, from some saplings at the sandstone building next to us, and some uh, decorative flagstone that we had uh, was smashed in the parking lot. And, you know, it's, you, you know, it's just probably some kids who think it's funny. It's like, this is, isn't this hilarious? We're, we're doing this. And you, you could say, you know, it's okay. It's just kids that are messing around. It, I mean, it could have been worse, and that's true. I mean, it, the, I think the town probably paid the biggest cost with the, replacing the, the glass block. That's not uh, exactly easy. And, you know, for the rest of it, it's just a few minutes of cleaning up. But the greater concern, and, and I think this is what the proverb is getting at, is their attitude toward what's wrong. They're laughing it up. It's just a joke to them. It reveals not only their attitude, but their character, who they are. They are a fool in, in this proverb. Consider the difference then for a man or woman of understanding. What is their delight? What is their joy? What, if you put it this way, what do they get a kick out of? If the two lines of the proverb were a, a strict, strictly opposite, if they were just a photo negative of one or the other, it would be, well, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but doing right, well, and this is just another way that the proverb, the proverb is built to slow us down. Uh, the, the, I think the proverb, what the proverb is doing is, is whispering to us, hey, this is what, what is wise is what is right. And what is right is wise. This is what you need to know. What is good and what is right is wise. They, they just go together. A couple of insights then from this proverb. So, again, we've already noted this. What you enjoy depends on the kind of person you are. Think about what you enjoy. And you're probably most, we would say, well, family and food and, and uh, you know, watching a movie or tinkering in the garage or in the kitchen or the backyard. And, and Okay, are there other things that you would, might be slower to admit that you enjoy, that kind of, that you're drawn to, that that you really relish? Does your, does your pleasure in what's wrong reveal you to be a fool? Maybe it's not so funny after all. And sooner or later, the joke's on you. The other thing that we should see from this proverb, though, is that the choice between right and wrong, between wisdom and folly, is not a choice between enjoying life or not enjoying life. As if doing wrong is like eating a banana split, and then doing what is right is like eating boiled Brussels sprouts. It's the difference. The difference here is enjoying something good or enjoying something that's not good. And so the difference between something that is a, a superficial, a destructive, a fleeting kind of fun, and a deep and solid and constructive and lasting joy. That's the difference. Not fun, no fun. Not joy, no joy. Joy that is real and lasting or joy that is superficial and destructive and very soon gone. We all hope that you know, whoever it was doing that Vandalism will grow up, will wise up. That's, you know, most of us count on that. Well, you know, those kids, they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. Um, well, we hope, we hope so. 
hope they'll grow up. We hope they'll wise up and learn the value and the joy of doing positive, constructive things. Otherwise, if they, if you remain a fool, there's much more trouble in your future. Not just destroying property, but destroying your life. That leads us to the next proverb. What difference does it make whether or not you live with integrity? Here's part three. Destruction or direction. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So here, again, pretty easy to see. We've got another contrast. If the last verse was a contrast in attitude, it's like a joke or it's a a, a joy, uh, this is a contrast in outcome. What does integrity do for you? Where does it take you? On the other hand, where does a lack of integrity do for you? What, where does that take you? And the proverb is, well, it seems pretty clear, but there's, again, there's always more if you take time with it as we are meant to do with the proverbs. They're, they're so short that, that there's a lot that is left unsaid. There's a lot that's implied. There's a lot of, of ways that it connects to other things that it's just worth teasing that out. That's what we're supposed to do with the Proverbs. The Hebrew word translated as upright here is, uh, means literally straight, um, which, actu- which accentuates, of course, the contrast between the crookedness in the second line. And, of course, both of those are used to describe moral character. Uh, it's, it's, again, giving us a picture, not just a picture. Um, when you know how things uh, work when, when they're meant to be straight. So an example, uh, an arrow. You want an arrow to be, where, I don't know if when bow season is, but when, you, when you've got an arrow, uh, you want it to be straight in order for it to fly farther, to fly with accuracy. And you want a person to be straight in this sense as being morally right and good and just. So the very first uh, verse of the book of Job introduces us to him. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So his character described as blameless and upright, that, that straight word. And actually, the, the, the word translated blameless there, blameless and upright, describing Job, has the same root as the one translated as integrity here in the verse we're looking at, Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright. So the same blameless and upright, Job, integrity of the upright, those are the same words really uh, paired together. So uh, has the idea that integrity or blameless has, again, the idea of being complete or whole. We, We use that word integrity um, even though we don't recognize always the metaphor, but the integrity of a, a, a of the hull of a boat, if it has integrity, it's not leaking, right? It, it, it's, it's whole, it's complete, it's solid, and therefore uh, helpful and sound. It's, it, it will float. If, it's, if it lacks integrity, it's like those levees, it's going to leak and you will sink. Job's character, blameless, and uh, upright or having integrity and being whole, being whole and being straight, uh, Job's character was borne out in his actions. His 
behavior and his attitude toward God. He feared God and turned away from evil. Really, two sides of the same coin. And this proverb says, the integrity of the upright guides them. Now, Job would be the first guy to tell you that just because you have personal integrity doesn't mean the road is always smooth and the skies are always clear. But your integrity guides you. It keeps you on the right way. We're, I think I mentioned this recently, we were wrapping up our first month of our second son, Andrew, having his permit. So we are talking through driving and through cars and all that stuff. So, you know, how to stay in your lane, how to keep between the lines when you can't always see the lines. And talking about how the car might sometimes uh, work against you if, if your car is out of alignment right? You, you know this. Your, if your wheels are just off a little bit so that you're always having to just do these fine adjustments to keep it between the lines and you, your car is, is uh, so that if you're not actively you know, doing that, actively steering, you're, you're slowly drifting one way, pulling another way. And you know, ultimately, that, that, can be a, that is a safety issue, um, especially if you're kind of going to sleep or losing your, uh, drifting off in, in, in your attention, and suddenly you are where you're not supposed to be. Most of the time, again, just a little bit of adjustment, but ultimately it's a safety issue that you've got to get a realignment because eventually your crookedness could lead to destruction. How much more dangerous when your character is out of alignment? The treacherous describes those who are deceptively disloyal. They're, they're traitors. They, they will lie to you and they will betray you. You shouldn't count on them because they will be unfaithful to you sooner or later. Except the, the warning here in this proverb is not so much about stay away from the, the treacherous, stay away from the crooked. I mean, that's true. Um, it's just telling you where that kind of person ends up. Kind of like the last problem, the, this part isn't exactly the opposite. Integrity guides, but crookedness misleads? No, the, the second line ramps it up. I mean, it turns it up all the way. Integrity guides, hmm, that's good. In, uh, crookedness destroys. Actually, I think the, the compare-contrast enhances our understanding of both. I mean, because guides is fairly neutral, but, but think, integrity guides to life. Integrity guides to blessing. Integrity guides you in the way that you ought to go, while crookedness guides you to your doom. It takes you over the cliff. When you come to the fork in the road, and don't, don't picture now a fork in the road where you're like, well, two options that seem to be the same, two roads where I don't know where they go, uh, what do I do? That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the, the context for which this proverb uh, is, is speaking. Think of being at a fork in the road where you know one path is right, and the other path is wrong. And you're standing there, and you have to choose. You need to have developed the kind of character that will guide you when that decision is, in some sense, not a decision at all. You know, you, you, the, I am going to choose the right way. This is the way that I will go. Your integrity guides you. Your decision is, in some sense, already made. When you have that character, that integrity, you will follow, you, you'll sit, you come to those decisions, those choices that happen every day, and you follow the path that is true. 
the way that leads to life. That is being, uh, having integrity of the upright. That's how it will guide you. Got one more proverb this morning with one more very important dimension to the issue of integrity. And we've talked about character and attitude and outcome. But we, we, we need to think about what, we need to reflect on what God thinks. What difference does it make whether or not you live with integrity? Here's part four. Disgust or delight. This is the difference. Proverbs eleven twenty. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. And now that previous proverb has given us already some pieces to work with here. We understand what crooked is, understand blameless and the, the integrity, that, that blameless word right there is, the, is our word integrity. Another com- compare contrast, right? Um, both lines have to do with God's attitude toward, uh, toward someone, so that, that's how they go together. Both of them have to do with God's attitude toward someone, but different kinds of people draw out from him a different response, a very different response. Notice again how the two lines also give us uh, the whole picture. They work together, work together to give us the whole picture. You see, heart and ways. So it's not as though that, well, he feels one way toward your inward disposition, but he feels another way toward your outward behavior. No, the, again, the, they work together to give us the whole picture. This is the way the proverb points to the importance of our whole being, who we are on the inside, who we are on the outside, inward and outward. So you're like, okay, that's interesting, but like, wait a minute, what, what is this abomination thing? I mean, whoa, you, you mean that he abhors and despises uh, some people? Doesn't God love everybody? Well, the Bible as a whole says yes and no. And that's, that's something very important for us to understand. If we're, this is critical for us to understand. Doesn't God love everybody? Yes and no. From the biblical point of view, it is perfectly right and just for God to hate sin and for sinners to be under his wrath. In fact, it's just as, as those we saw in the earlier proverb who joke about the, what's doing wrong, if you joke about what's doing wrong, if you take it lightly, that reveals something of your character. If you make light of what is truly and horribly wrong, that doesn't reflect well on who you are. God reveals his character in his response to those who do right and those who do wrong. He is so righteous, so blameless, whole, complete, pure, unpolluted, that he could not possibly laugh at sin. He could not brush it off as simply, well, stupid kids, you know, want to... No, he, he can't do that. For him to be good... He must hate what's wrong and love, love what's right. But the problem with that, of course, is where does that leave you and me? If, if God in his purity, in his wholeness, in his integrity, hates what's wrong and loves what's right, where does that leave you and me? And of course, then we start with the, the, the kind of juggling this. We say, well, oh, you know, I, I know some folks are really, really bad and, and uh, it makes sense that God wouldn't, you know, would, would despise you know, Hitler and Stalin and the Taliban and whatever. And, and, and you know, some folks are pretty good, though. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad, but I'm not blameless either. And uh, I have to admit, I, I'm 
That can be pretty twisted. I'm, I'm, I'm bent. There's, there's a bent that I have, and, and, and I, don't, I don't go where I ought to go. I don't, I don't make the, when I'm faced with those choices, I don't always choose the right path. And, and we're like, well, come on. I mean, who is blameless? Who, who, who could hope to be God's delight? And that's where you need to know the rest of the story. You need to know the rest of the Bible's good news is that God's character, yes, guides him to condemn, and it also guides him to redeem. That's coming from who he is. The Bible tells us of the love and the grace and the mercy of God that is beyond our comprehension, that is beyond our imagination, and it is more than just warm feelings or, you know, positive thoughts and, and, and good intentions. Uh, it is a compassion for the weak, for the broken, for the lost, for the condemned. It is a compassion that moves him such that the Father would send his one and only Son to sacrifice himself for our sake. So that the, so that the crooked, which by the way is every single one of us, so that the crooked could be forgiven, could be saved from the righteous wrath of God that we deserved. That, that's the good news. That's the good news of the Bible. And it's not in conflict with this insight of the book of Proverbs about his character, about the character of God that is revealed in his response toward us when we do right and when we do wrong. That is, this is still practical wisdom for us. Don't you don't you dread to have his displeasure toward you? Don't you long to be God's delight for, for you to have his smile on you? Then, then look carefully to your heart and to your ways. Be wise. And you're like, okay, well, what, wasn't that, doesn't that take away from the good news? I mean, doesn't that go against the, 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 what the Bible says? That if, if Christ takes our sins away, then for for me to think that I please God by my good works, then, well, let me, let me show you that the, the Apostle Paul does not see any contradiction between what Christ did for us and the completion and the, his perfect and completed work for us and how we then live because of what he is for us. So I'm going to read this passage as we draw to a close. Colossians chapter 1. This is just one example. We could look at others. But Colossians 1 reading from verse 9 through verse 14. So we're listening. What you're listening for here is the role of wisdom and obedience and God's delight in those who love and obey him and not in contradiction with the finished work of Christ that forgives us of our sin. Paul says, Colossians 1, 9, And so from the day we heard about their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. Because it is in Christ that we are forgiven. Because he has made us his own family. We are sons and daughters of God. Because he has brought us into his kingdom, we now live seeking a growing knowledge of God, a growing spiritual wisdom of how to live and how to, did you hear it, how to please God in so doing as we bear that fruit. It's because of the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ, taking away our guilt, taking away the guilt of sin and the power of sin over us. So it's not opposed to, but, but feeds into and creates us, gives us what we need to live a new life. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, then we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. So we could say if uh, our integrity, your integrity of the upright guides you, the, the work of Christ in your life gives you an, an aim, an aim to please him. How do we, how, how would we please him? I don't, don't think of him up there as just kind of with his arms crossed and a, 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 a furrowed brow, just like, well, let me see what you got today. I'll see if I, let's see if I'll be happy with you. It's just not it. It's, it's the, about the, the son or daughter who is always, who, who is, who is you know, learning how to ride the bike and finding their balance and also looking back to see the smile of a mom or a dad. Because it's, it's the joy of riding the bike, but it's also like, look, look, and the joy and if you've been a parent, you know that joy. And if you've t- then you've tasted the joy of the father when the, when the child is, is making it. They're doing it. They're doing it. We've been working and you've been falling, but you're doing it. That's the joy that we're seeking. That's the joy that we want. That's the joy that the delight that God has in those whose ways are blameless whose heart is straight. This is the wisdom that Proverbs 11.20 gives us. Not if you're, well, if you're good enough, maybe God will be happy with you. It's both a warning and an invitation. Don't you want to feel his pleasure in you? His pleasure with you, that he's pleased with you. With the confidence and hope then that you have in Christ that your sins are forgiven, that, he's, that you belong to him, then let that spur you to look after your heart, to be wise in your ways, and then you'll see the difference that living with integrity makes. Let's pray. Oh, as we're praying, as I, as I speak the words of these prayers, I just would ask that wherever you are, that you are also asking God to help you please him. That's what Paul was praying for those Colossians. God, we're praying right now, Father, we're praying that you would answer that prayer that Paul had for the church at Colossae. Answer that Evangelical Free Church of Mount Morris. Answer it in in churches that dot this country and around the world that there would be more examples of people that are 
striving to please you. Not because they're afraid of disappointing you, but because they just, they, they love to know that you delight in those who walk in your ways. May that be true of us, oh God. Hear the cries of your people as we say, help me to please you. Thank you for taking away everything that would make you reject me through Christ so that we give you the praise and that our joy is in your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.